Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the film streaming at BYU's International Cinema. This is our 12th podcast of fall semester 2020. I'm Mark Yamada, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by our other co-director, Professor Doug Weatherford, an expert in Mexican film, among many other things. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. This week, we are talking about the 2017 film, The Eternal Feminine, Los Adioses, a biopic about Mexican poet and author Rosario Castellanos, directed by Natalia Beristain. Doug, let's start off by talking about the subject of the film, Rosario Castellanos. What, what do we know about her background as a writer and her significance in the Mexican literary world? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about Rosario Castellanos. In fact, she's uh, one of my all-time favorite authors. Before I talk about her, I'll just uh, mention that I wrote my doctoral thesis on Rosario Castellanos a number of years back at the Pennsylvania State University and have been fascinated by her for some time. And so when this film came out in 2017, I actually saw it in Mexico City and was thrilled to have it added to the international cinema schedule for this semester. And one of the reasons why I'm really excited about that is to have more people know who this incredible woman and incredible writer was. Castellanos was born in 1925, uh, died in 1974. She is very well known in Latin America and especially in Mexico, often considered one of Mexico's first uh, feminist writers. Certainly in the 50s and 60s and early 70s, she was one of the most important women writing in that country. But as is the case with many Latin American writers, uh, she hasn't translated as well outside of Mexico and especially in the United States. And I think that's really unfortunate. Some uh, authors from Latin America, like a Gabriel Garcia Marquez or a Mario Vargas Llosa, for example, have uh, been very well read in this country. Other writers, and it's not just because she's a female writer, but certainly that didn't help. But Juan Rufo, for example, one of Mexico's great writers, hasn't had the readership he deserves in, in the United States. But Castellanos really is a writer that deserves to be better known on this side of the border. And I think that as readers begin to learn who she was and what she wrote, they'll find in her an author that is at the same time engaging and interesting and funny and sarcastic and just uh, really a delight to read. And so that's kind of my hope is that with this film, we'll get to know more about uh, as well what she wrote. Yeah. And you also get to a little bit of a sense of kind of her perspective on feminism you don't necessarily, you know, there's not really kind of this literary adaptation of her works, but you, you know, it's, it's based on her life. But I think, um, you know, without really knowing much about her and knowing her work, I watched the film and paying attention to kind of the visual language that Beristain uses to kind of translate her perspective. And it's a good thing because she, she uses some really interesting visual techniques, right, to kind of uh, depict her life, but also in some ways to kind of depict her perspective on women and feminism. Can you comment a little bit on the way in which Beristain translates Castellano's perspective through film? Yeah, well, the the film does kind of take as its uh, primary moment the relationship Rosario Castellanos had 
with Ricardo Guerra, who would become her husband, who she would uh, have one child with and later divorce. So the film kind of moves mostly between two chronological moments. I mean, there are more than that, but to kind of when she is a young university student who has just uh, arrived from the state of Chiapas in southern Mexico, that would have been likely in the early 1950s when she meets Ricardo Guerra, who at the time was also a university student. And then we also see their kind of troubled relationship in a later moment, probably in the late 50s, early 60s. And then the film ends at the moment of her death in 1974 after they had divorced. And so the chronological flashbacks and moving between moments, I think, really makes the film quite interesting mm-hmm. and, and a lot of fun to watch, I, I think, as well. And to see kind of the development of this woman who truly loved this man, Ricardo Guerra, but to see the problems that they had and especially the eventual infidelities Uh, that he was responsible for that would lead to their separation. One of the things that I really like about uh, Castellanos as a writer is that she is very perceptive without being overly judgmental. And what I mean by that is that you will see very distinct criticisms of Mexican culture, of patriarchal culture uh, within her writings, but she understands that all people are weak on some level, right? Mm. So that within her works, it's not always men versus women and men are the victimizers, women are the victims, but within our own spheres, within our own worlds, we each can be responsible for hurting the other, right? And so in this film, we're not going to see a Rosario Castellanos who is perfect, And one of the things that uh, I learned after I finished my doctoral thesis is that Rosario Castellanos actually did take Valium 10, 10 being the uh, the dosage of the pill, but uh, throughout her adult life as a way of kind of just calming her nerves, uh, might be kind of like the Zoloft that is so common in this day and age. Uh, But what we see is a person who is at once both strong, but also weak, who Mm -hmm. is in love, but uh, struggles with that relationship, right? Right. And and I really like that about this film. Ricardo Guerra was a philosophy professor at the National University, as was uh, Rosario Castellanos, as the film shows. And I think that people who see this for the first time will see some of the struggles that she had with loving a man who was clearly flawed um, Mm -hmm. and suffering because of that, but also see as well some of her own flaws within the film. Yeah, you know, I I like that you mentioned this idea of world, because I really picked up on that in the visual language of the film that Castellanos is kind of divided between two worlds. I mean, she has she's really in her own world in many times. And there's these great parallel shots in the beginning and end of the film where she's sitting on stairs and life is kind of passing her by. Right. And, and the sense that she kind of is in her own world in terms of writing. And, and this is almost a threat to her husband to a certain degree, because in some ways, you know, according to this kind of patriarchal way of thinking, you know, her world should be his world. And she wants to be in his world as well, but yet she also is kind of drawn to this very individual space. 
we see through a lot of kind of subjective handheld camera, a lot of close-ups that really suggest subjective experience. And so it seemed like she was divided a little bit, right, between playing the wife in this one world and then in some ways also kind of being drawn to a world where she can kind of express herself. And the, the great thing with, you know, the, the typewriting that they do where typing is a way of kind of almost communicating between the two couples, right? That, that they're either they're too busy to talk or they don't want to talk or something. But interesting kind of back and forth in the way that they're, they're often framed together. And it, like you said, it kind of suggests the way in which she's bound to him to a certain extent. She wants to be a good wife and she wants to be uh, these things. But at the same time, she is drawn to other things as well. Right. And you mentioned the handheld camera. I would actually also mention the static camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is kind of a contrast between the handheld camera as it moves through a bookshelf stands, right? Following Rosario Castellanos, for example. But there's also many, many scenes in which the camera is simply static. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I really liked about the style of the cinematographer and of the director is that they, they create almost this contrast between him and her, Rosario and uh, Ricardo. And it puts him almost as protagonist and antagonist when it perhaps shouldn't be that way. Right. Um, but within the film, there are a number of moments in which uh, the character actually reads text from Rosario Castellanos. And one of her poems is titled Ajedrez or Chess, mm-hmm. right? And it's read at the very end of the film. And it's really when I think you begin to understand the reasons for some of the visual elements within the film mm-hmm. that it places, that poem places, you know, a, a couple against each other on a game board. Right. And I really liked the fact that the film is often shot using the lineal perspective, right? Mm-hmm. For those who don't understand what that is, if you think of Da Vinci's The Last Supper, where the table you know, runs parallel across the screen, and then the two sides of the table create lines that, if you follow them into the distance, will create two lines that disappear together in what we call a vanishing point, right? It's a very classical way of creating a visual image, but those lineal perspectives appear throughout the film, especially in the scene that you mentioned where uh, both of them are sitting at this dining room table that's been right. turned into a desk where they both sit at their typewriters, Castellanos being more productive than perhaps her husband is. But that uh, lineal perspective, I think, reinforces this concept that in some unfortunate way, this marriage, as marriages sometimes do, becomes a game in which mm-hmm. um, one person is fighting against the other. And mm-hmm. that's the way the visuals and the thematics of the film, I think, combine in a very beautiful way. Yeah, uh, like you mentioned, she is aware of her husband's, you know, infidelities, and, and it does bother her. And, it, and at the same time, like you said, it it it's humanizing her because she's not perfect, and she is in her own world a little bit. He does kind of want to engage with her more, and and she doesn't always, she's not always kind of open to to engaging in the way that he, you know, would like. And so there is this kind of interesting back and forth. There's that really great scene on the bed that we mentioned before about them, you know, it kind of jumping back forth, as you mentioned, kind of two different periods in her life when they're young, a young couple. And then as when they're older and it's, you know, it's a really interesting moment because you have this kind of seamless jumping back and forth and almost to the point where it becomes this just eternal now, right. This kind of experience that maybe they've had over and over in their lives. There's that one moment. It's usually 
obeying the, you know, the 180 degree rule, it's kind of staying on one side, but it does kind of jump, I noticed a few times and break that rule or kind of jump over and, and shoot from the other side. And so there's an interesting kind of, it, it's seamless, but also kind of a little jarring at moments as well. I mean, what's significant about that, that jumping between those two different periods of her life? Is there something, you mentioned these two different periods here as kind of being significant. Is there something more you can say about that? Yeah, perhaps. Uh, but I also want to jump off of something else that you said when you use the term eternal, right? An eternal now almost, and right. uh, perhaps connect it to the title of the film, which in English is the eternal feminine. Right. And for those who are unaware of where that comes from, it, it, it was originally part of a quote by Guta, but Rosario Castellanos wrote a play, or the only play, and uh, she was not only a poet, but a short story writer, a novelist, an essayist. She wrote for the newspapers, uh, and she wrote so many different genres and was as capable at all of them. But her one play was The Eternal Feminine, El Eterno Femenino. Uh, and it's a play that has a number of female characters who take on within the play a number of different female roles, right? And it's full of female myths. And so you have like Eve and you have uh, from Mexico, the Malinche figure, and you have the Virgin of Guadalupe, for example. And although she is a writer that is very much interested in the real, right? The experiences of real women in real historical geographical context, she's also very interested in the mythic. Mm -hmm. And so she frequently plays with that idea of finding the eternal feminine in women's experiences. And so I think that at least on some level, the representation of multiple moments in Castellanos's life is one way of extending her frustrations, her experiences beyond a specific moment and connecting it perhaps uh, with the experiences of women in centuries past and, and perhaps decades into the future. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that sense of creating a story that goes beyond the moment. Yeah, very nice. And I, I, you get that early on, especially when it does kind of jump between these time periods. And as you mentioned, it's kind of creating this sense that almost kind of timelessness in terms of those particular moments in her life, is there anything that, that is that stands out as as reasons why they would kind of focalize around those moments, or is there is it more just to kind of suggest a kind of a timelessness about it? Well, I I like the moments that they chose. Right, the one thing that I find unfortunate is that we get very little about uh, Castellanos's life in her home state of Chiapas. Um, she actually grew up in the southernmost state in Mexico, which is right along the Guatemala border. In fact, her hometown was almost within spitting distance of Guatemala, and it's a region of Mexico that feels sometimes uh, more like Guatemala than Mexico. It's uh, in the Mayan world. Uh, the only moment in the film that harkens back to that is a couple of scenes that are shot actually in Chiapas in this in the town called Comitan, where she grew up. And mm. it's it's a part of her life that I think is essential. And although this film concentrates on her desire to tell the stories of women of Mexico, she also was an indigenous writer uh, mm. who was very interested as well in the experiences of another marginalized group, that being the uh, well, indigenous, but especially the Tzotzil and Celtal Maya of her home state of Chiapas. 
And uh, it, it, even though it's a very brief moment, perhaps I, I should mention it since I brought this up. Uh, mm. There's one moment where they're walking past a church. I've actually seen that church in, in Comitán. It, they they're actually in Comitán. Uh, but there are a couple of Maya women that are walking along the sidewalk towards Castellanos and uh, one of her friends. And the Mayan women get down off of the sidewalk, walk past, and then get back up, which is something that Castellanos actually talks about in in one of her texts, you know, kind of that um, sense somehow that culture has told uh, the Mayans that they are less valuable, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a very brief moment. I think most people won't even notice it within the film. But for me, it was very real. For the following reason, that's because I've been to Chiapas a couple of times, and I remember very clearly the first time that that happened to me when I was walking along a sidewalk, that I actually had to get down off the sidewalk to be able to let uh, some Mayan Indians pass me by. And I kind of smiled and, and chuckled because I realized that in late 1990s, when I was uh, down in Chiapas, that this happened to me, that perhaps things have changed in some respects. And right. that, uh, that what the world that Castellanos described has gotten at least somewhat better. And, and I, I would have loved to have had uh, Castellanos with me at that moment to be uh -huh. able to see her re reaction as well. But that's one moment. Another one is, of course, uh, her time uh, when she is a professional. She's a professional writer, a professional teacher, and uh, she she works at the UNAM. And for those mm -hmm. who don't know the UNAM, that's the Universidad, Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México, or the National University in Southern Mexico City. And it has some beautiful shots, including of the outside of the library that is a mosaic mural that was created by the artist Juan O'Gorman in the same time period as Diego Rivera, Siqueiros, and Orozco, the famous uh, Mexican muralist. But uh, I, I hope that people will see those university images because that space, those spaces as part of the film were really special to me. It's, a, it's an iconic space. It represents one of the great Latin American universities and uh, I, I think represents in some way that Rosario Castellanos during her life was able to, to make it to the heights of the Mexican cultural environment. Yeah, it makes sense that they would shoot those on location, right, to really reinforce that idea on the actual places they took place. Yeah, very nice. I really enjoyed the film, just from, as I mentioned, from a visual aspect. Um, I enjoyed the way in which Castellanos was always or oftentimes shown through reflection, perhaps maybe representing the way in which, you know, she's trying to live up to a certain kind of image of women. There's a great scene where... I think Ricardo and her stand in front of a mirror and, and he is basically kind of telling her how to act, right? And how to be a woman. And I think that's, it kind of demonstrates this, the dilemma that you face. At the same time, you get a sense that the patriarchy isn't just him, that he in some ways is, we don't see him as kind of the evil oppressor, but he's part of, he has to kind of play according to the rules as well. And, and it does a good job. There's some subtle shots of kind of the church and other things that maybe kind of hint at these larger institutional forces that are there at play in determining her and, and kind of dictating her identity. Is there a scene in the film that you think is particularly salient in crystallizing maybe kind of the, the ideas of her, her writing, of her perspective on feminism? Well, there are a number of scenes that I really like. And uh, one of the things that uh, I imagine in this film is that some people will wonder, you know, how is it a film that is 
primarily about the acts of writing and reading, right, right. can uh, be of interest cinematically. Uh, but I think the film really is. You know, it's not a fast-paced movie, uh, but no. it's a movie that allows you to be pulled into the story, to the very human story of an author, but also into the world of writers and readers. And uh, two scenes that I, I really like. Uh, the first one is where the young Castellanos is sitting in a old used bookstore, right? And again, it's a lineal perspective shot that uh, just shows her with these huge bookshelves behind her and to her sides with books going all the way to the ceilings. And I can tell you, I've spent a lot of time in used bookstores in Mexico City. I've probably been in that one. I don't know where they filmed it, but that shot is so beautiful. And for somebody that is a bibliophile, I, I think that uh, this film will be a real treat uh, to mm. see just the presence of books and physical books. In fact, I, I've wondered, uh, as I saw this film, how those used uh, bookstores in Mexico City are faring in a new digital age. I think that we will regret some of the realities of a digital world that may be more convenient, but in some way is less, is less uh, human. In right. interaction with the written text. But I really liked that scene and I thought it brought out to Castellanos as a writer and reader. Another one that I really liked is right at the uh, front end of the film. Uh, you talk about reflections uh, and reflections of Castellanos, which really does appear throughout the film. But the one of the first images is actually a reflection of Ricardo Guerra right, that uh, Castellanos is giving a lecture. She's actually reading from one of her novels called Balun Canan that's set in Chiapas in the Mayan world. And there's a poster announcing it with her image on it. And then all of a sudden, Guerra, as he steps closer to the picture, we see her picture and his reflection. And it gets, once again, that idea somehow of the chess board, but also this sense of, you know, who's reflecting who, who's the real creator, and, uh, and I think uh, puts into play from the very first moment the tensions uh, that this couple feel as they try to navigate a world that is not always fair, not always equal. And uh, especially when one individual, I think, gets more recognition for her creativity than the other. Right. And, and I thought that was a really fun uh, image within the film. Very nice. This is definitely an author that more people need to uh, read. Where would you recommend people start if they wanted to, if they saw the film and they want to read more or read or, or start reading some of Castellano's work, what would you recommend in translation, uh, novels, stories, poems even? Yeah, not all of her work has been translated, which is uh, kind of frustrating. But there is a text called the uh, Rosario Castellanos Reader, which gives you a wide selection of her essays and short fiction and, and novels and whatnot. Her poetry is uh, is accessible. You can find a lot of it translated online. One of the poems that I would highly recommend, my favorite one I'm going to be teaching in class in just a couple of weeks, is, is Valium 10 uh, that I've already mentioned that I think is, is just such a beautiful poem. And although it's never quoted within this film, it's clearly an inspiration for it. Um, mm. The Eternal uh, Feminine is in translation and her novels. Her novels are amazing. Like I said, uh, one's called Balun Kanan. It's translated as The Nine Guardians. Another one is called uh, The Book of Lamentations in English, and it has been translated. Both of these novels are set in the Mayan world of Chiapas and deal with 
themes of troubled relationships between the indigenous communities in the Ladino or non-indigenous world, as well as issues uh, of women trying to find their place within this world as well. And both of them are amazing. And both of them, although not technically part of the boom of Latin American narrative that includes uh, Garcia Marquez, Carlos Puentes, Vargas Llosa, certainly belongs to that moment and are, are two of the great novels of Latin America and Mexico. Great. Well, the film is The Eternal Feminine uh, from 2017. Check it out at International Cinema coming soon. Thanks, Doug, so much for that great introduction to the film. You bet. And I hope people like the film and uh, perhaps even more importantly, that you discover uh, the writings of Rosario Castellanos. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. Tune into our podcast each week for insightful discussion of the film streaming at IC by specialists who will be joining us on our podcast. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. As always, we thank our producer, Dewey Walter, our sound engineer, Jojo Hegstrom-Pratz, as well as the staff at the BYU Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. We would also like to acknowledge the musical talents of Professor Greg Stallings and his son, Johnny, who are responsible for the great intro and outro music. Until next week, keep streaming. Thank you.